Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Round three coverage of the NBA playoffs here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? We are also live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. Well, the Western Conference Finals lived up to the billing. We had a hell of a battle between Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic, although I did think that it was a little bit closer uh, excuse me, a little bit more, uh, uh, a little bit more of a disparity between those two guys in the box score would lead you to believe. Lots of interesting dynamics and matchups that we're going to dive into. A early series adjustment from Darvin Ham and the way they guarded Nikola Jokic. And even though the Nuggets won and went up 1-0, they've got a lot. I think both of these teams really got to go back to the drawing board with their defensive approach, albeit the Lakers had some positives there at the end of the game. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. So uh, I have a bunch of things I want to get into, but just quickly on the end of the game there. Um, typically, when you get down 20 plus points in the second half, you can win, uh, but you have to be perfect. And so I saw a lot of Laker fans focusing in on that LeBron James shot. Do I love it? No. But a couple things like clearly he could have got a better, clearly he could have gotten a better look, but he had, you know, several inches on Jamal Murray to shoot over the top of him also was giving him a good amount of space. And despite his shooting struggles to start this postseason, he shot 39% from three on six attempts per game over his previous five playoff games. So games two through six of the Warriors series. So he's in a better groove from three. And uh, in his previous five playoff runs before this one, he was six attempts per game at 37%. So LeBron's a better shooter than you would think, uh, given some of the narratives surrounding him in this postseason run. That said, could have gotten a better shot. But to me, if you focus on just that shot, 
from this game. If you're a Laker fan, I think you're missing a whole lot of other issues. That game was lost in the first half. You spotted them an 18-point lead with an atrocious defensive effort, especially uh, uh, in transition. I thought it was their worst defensive effort of the entire postseason to start. Um, but you want to give the Nuggets a ton of credit. Obviously, they have the best home court advantage in basketball. There's no doubt that elevation played a role. The Lakers brought significantly better energy in game one of both of the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors series. And honestly, like that's how the Nuggets can win the series. That's why I want to start with Jokic. I said going into the series in my series preview that down the roster, I believe the Lakers are better. If you look at LeBron James, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura, those guys, if you go down the roster, they're better. Like that's going to be the very best you're going to see of Jamal Murray as a shot-making performance. You're going to see LeBron do a lot of what he did tonight throughout the entire series because he's the second best player of all time and he's in a really good groove right now, right? But the Jokic-AD matchup is where this entire series swings. Now, if you look at the Anthony Davis box score, you're going to think it was pretty close. Um, But aside from AD scoring well, mostly in the short roll, I didn't think he played a particularly great game. I didn't think he defended as well as he was capable of. I didn't think he controlled the glass as well as he was capable of. Gave up a critical offensive rebound late in the game to Aaron Gordon on a play that Rui Hachimura was contesting Jokic and he didn't need Anthony Davis. Like if you're if you're on Aaron Gordon under the basket, three-point game late, like that's got to be your rebound. That's Aaron Gordon. You're Anthony Davis, right? I didn't think he uh, made particularly great decisions in his post-ups and in his ISOs, like just driving into traffic and uh, fumbling the basketball, throwing up some shots that were extremely high difficulty. I didn't think it was Anthony Davis's best game. That's why, you know, and this is something we talk about a ton on this show, box scores don't really mean a ton to me. I thought Nikola Jokic was the best player on the floor by a mile. I thought he dominated the game in basically every single facet except for his rim protection and on the defensive end of the floor. Obviously, the Lakers picked the Nuggets apart in this game. On the offensive end, that's their big silver lining, and we'll get to that later. But aside from Jokic defensively, I thought he dominated every other phase of the game. He dominated the glass on both ends, killed him on the offensive glass, was doing a great job finishing defensive possessions by securing the defensive rebound, bringing the ball up the floor, making those kick-ahead passes, to the Nuggets' wings that were sprinting the floor. It's a huge part of the Nuggets' offense. I've been on this for years now. Uh, ever since we start, started, first started having the Embiid-Jokic debate, I talk a lot about how Jokic can beat teams in transition. That was a huge part of the series preview. That's a big way that Jokic, I think, knows he can beat this Laker team. Secure defensive rebounds and kick it to a wing and sprint up the floor while Anthony Davis is yelling at the refs or falling on the ground or jogging like he tends to do a lot of the time. Jokic um, um, killed AD in the post in single coverage. When they doubled him, he made the right reads, and guys made shots, cutting and at the three-point line. Um, He did a really nice job of pulling Anthony Davis above the foul line, which opened up a lot of slashing opportunities and cutting opportunities for the Nuggets on the back line. I thought he screened extremely well for his guards and allowed them to get a good amount of separation. I thought he just played a much better game than Anthony Davis. And that is going to be the trickle-down effect for the rest of these uh, the dynamics that take place in this series. And again, we're going to get to some of the stuff that went down in that fourth quarter as the Lakers made their run. But as far as I'm concerned, in the total picture of game one, Jokic looked like the best player in the series. And so round one goes to Jokic in that matchup. And I don't think it's a coincidence 
that the Nuggets went up 1-0 as a result. I thought Jamal Murray was fantastic. I thought that's the peak Jamal Murray game. I posted a picture of his shot chart. You can find it on my Twitter feed, and you'll see a ton of variety. You're going to see above-the-break threes from different spots, some of them off of movement, some off of a catch, some off of uh, off the dribble and pick-and-roll. He had shots in the mid-range off the dribble handoffs and out of pick-and-roll. He uh, had a play at the end, uh, late third quarter, I think, where he started attacking Lonnie uh, Walker in the post. Like I told you guys, he's going to start attacking those smaller Laker guards in the post and wherever he sees an opportunity. I thought he had some really good physical takes to the basket. He missed a few, um, but he puts real rim pressure and missed layups often when they occupy the rim protector, open up opportunities for offensive rebounds. I thought, I thought Jamal Murray was fantastic. You saw Michael Porter Jr. cause a lot of problems for the smaller Laker guards. And this is going to be a big thing. I think we'll be, I think we will almost certainly see Rui Hachimura start in game two. And that just kind of makes a lot of the matchups make more sense. Now you're putting LeBron James on Michael Porter Jr. Austin Reeves, there was a, there was a play in the corner. He had a couple of plays early in the game where I just didn't think he was doing a very good job. And we'll talk about that when we get a little bit further down with the Laker defense. But there was a play in the left corner, first half, um, might have been second half. But uh, uh, Austin saw the, the the pivot coming, got into the shooting pocket. Michael Porter Jr. actually hesitated, like legit hesitated because he thought Austin was there. But Austin pulled his hands back because he didn't want to commit a foul. And Michael Porter, so he's there. He's literally there. And Michael Porter Jr. just goes, dude, I'm bigger than you. And you can't bother me when I take the shot. Just rose up over the top. Austin did a really nice job of getting a face contest uh, with his left hand and went into the bottom of the basket. Like, that's a matchup problem for the Lakers in this series. They cannot play the three-guard lineup when the uh, when the Nuggets have their starters on the floor. They're just too big at the 3-4-5, and they can shoot over the top. With LeBron James there, you actually have a much better chance of getting some stops in that situation. So again, like I, I thought Contavious Caldwell-Pope played a fantastic game. Jeff Green hit a monster three in the in the corner as the Lakers were making their run. Uh, Bruce Brown did a really nice job with his transition push up, uh, pushes. Um, uh, did a nice job of attacking the point of attack when the Lakers were not getting matched up in transition. There was a play where no one guarded him. He just barreled down the lane and made a layup. There's a play where Jared Vanderbilt's picking him up full court for whatever reason, even though Bruce is probably one of the worst shooters on the Nuggets. I think he's shooting in the 20% from three uh, in this postseason run. Beats Jared Vanderbilt off the dribble and just throws down a one-handed dunk. It was a extremely impressive performance from the Nuggets down the roster. I thought it was kind of an outclassing in a lot of ways there. Um, I did, obviously, they had a, a lot of issues on the defensive end. We'll get to that here in just a minute. I want to talk a little bit about the Lakers' defensive scheme and some stuff that they did tweak in the game, but I thought was a bad game plan that spotted Denver a lot of advantages early in the game. So I tweeted this out during the early second quarter, if I remember correctly, but one of the big, uh, big things that I thought was killing the Lakers' defense in the half court, like, again, as we look at, transition, that's just effort. You know, it's really hard to judge scheme when guys just aren't playing hard. I posted a video of the Lakers jogging back in transition as Aaron Gordon just drove down the middle of the lane and and drew a foul because Anthony Davis was jogging and no one was set. And now the Lakers have been a bad transition defense all season, but they are capable of much better transition defense efforts. You saw that a lot in game six against the Warriors. It is an effort and focus thing for them. And they just didn't bring a very good effort, I thought, in this particular game. First time in a game one 
that they didn't bring a good effort in this postseason. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Denver elevation had a little bit of an effect on them. But that definitely was a part of the problem. But as I zoom in on the half-court stuff, which is where you're actually going to learn things, because there's no adjustment to transition defense other than run back, get matched up, communicate to each other, have good floor balance, all the stuff that... They teach you from the lowest levels of basketball. There's no real adjustment there. It's just better execution. This was not a just a game plan issue for the Lakers. This was a game plan and execution issue for the Lakers. But the guard, I thought as I looked at the half-court possessions, the, um, the number one thing that I thought was causing the Lakers' problems defensively was their screen navigation from the guards. Now, this can be a strength of the Lakers at times. They tend to struggle with dribble penetration from really quick guards, but they tend to have success in Darvin Ham's scheme, fighting over the top, applying back pressure. Dennis Schroeder had a fantastic series last series doing that. Austin Reeves did some, did some pretty good work on Steph Curry. D'Angelo Russell actually did a decent job on Klay Thompson. They're actually capable of a lot better than they did, but some of it was game plan as well. I thought that uh, uh, it was readily apparent that Darvin Ham was asking the Laker guards to duck under picks. Um, now, again, what that means, think of it like this. So uh, do you remember in the Warriors series when I talked about shooting the gap? So when a shooter is breaking open, a shooter has a form that he goes to, a tried and true muscle memory. And when he gets into those situations, once he starts his muscle memory, it's over. There's nothing you can do to really bother them. From there, it's make or miss. Yeah, you can contest the shot, but these dudes have been shooting contested jumpers their entire life. They're not bothered by a hand in the face. They're bothered by disruption down low. They're bothered by messing with their footwork, disrupting something in the early phase of their energy transfer before they get to the top of the shot. So an off-ball situation is when you shoot gaps. So if you try to go underneath a pick and beat a shooter to a spot, it doesn't matter if you get there in time to contest because they are now running footwork running over the top of the screen and rising up, they're running footwork that they've been practicing every day since they were little kids. And so they're, they're going to knock that shot down. Whereas if you chase over the top of the screen, you have an opportunity to disrupt their base. I thought that was a really poor strategy. It's more in a dribble handoff situation on this uh, in this matchup with Denver. With Golden State, it was more off-ball screens. Um, but in this particular matchup, it was very much about off the dribble, like dribble handoffs from Nikola Jokic, where you're ducking under Nikola Jokic and you're allowing Jamal Murray to get into pretty comfortable shots. You're allowing Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Michael Porter Jr. to get into pretty comfortable shots. Now, in the early phase of the third quarter, if I remember correctly, Dennis Schroeder got started getting cooked by Jamal Murray in a bunch of those situations. He seemed to communicate something to Darvin Ham about it, and by the end of the game, they were chasing over the top of the pick. So, again, they made the adjustment, and that's great, but I thought that was a really poor game plan from the start of this game that spotted the the Nuggets an 18-point lead in the first half. Now, it wasn't all that. I thought most of that gap was transition. As a matter of fact, I think the – I believe the Nuggets had a 17-6 to fast break point advantage in the first half, so an 11-point advantage there. That's obviously where you're getting the larger margin. But the rest of that margin, I thought, was some uh, defensive game plan stuff. I also thought they did way too much double-teaming of Jokic. And this is where, like, again, I understand the concept of, like, hey, Anthony Davis, as good as he is, is not going to be able to just stonewall, stop Nikola Jokic every single time. I get that. But if your game plan is to double-team, then why waste Anthony Davis on the ball? That's where it makes sense to do it the way they did it down the stretch, where it's like, have Rui Hachimura battling his ass off on the guy because you're going to be sending all this help from Anthony Davis uh, on the back line or from guards digging down uh, from the perimeter. That's where you have an opportunity 
um, to use Anthony Davis appropriately. But to have him stonewalling Nikola Jokic and double teaming so Jokic can just throw easy kickout passes to KCP on the wing for three or to somebody else cutting to the basket, I, I didn't necessarily agree with that strategy. If Anthony Davis is going to guard Nikola Jokic, I think you have to stick with him on an island with just a little bit of like shell drill stuff, like guys just kind of stunting but in a position where they feel comfortable and confident closing out to the shooters. Now, late game adjustment, Darvin Ham puts Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic. Puts Anthony Davis on Jeff Green and Aaron Gordon at the end of the game, and they do have some success. Now, one of the things that I thought was really helping the Lakers in that situation is Jokic was trying to beat Rui Hachimura by getting past him instead of trying to shoot over the top. I think as we look forward in this series, you're going to see Darvin Ham start with that. I think Rui's going to start on Nikola Jokic, Anthony Davis on uh, Aaron Gordon to begin game two. But Jokic is too smart of a player. And he's so damn efficient with those little short push shots and, and runners in the lane. I think his adjustment to that in that coverage is he's going to start not trying to go through Rui Hachimura, but just get to comfortable spots that he likes around the semicircle for those short little push shots and turnaround jumpers in the lane that Rui's not going to be able to come close to bothering the way that Anthony Davis does. Now, what I would do if I was uh, guarding Nikola Jokic, I would mix coverages frequently. I, I would keep Anthony Davis on him a good amount of the time in single coverage. And I would try Rui with Anthony Davis on the back line, especially if Anthony Davis is ever in any sort of foul trouble. But also, don't just try Rui. That needs to be a little bit of LeBron James, too. I'd love to see LeBron James switching on to Nikola Jokic and applying some similar pressure to try to bait him into tougher shots uh, that he doesn't normally get, right? So... Again, I, I think that it was a good adjustment from Darvin Ham, but it's not the it's not the last thing they're going to need to do, and they're going to need to do more to mix things up to make Nikola Jokic uncomfortable over the course of this series. And again, Nik Nikola Jokic is too smart. He's, he's going to find a way to solve that specific coverage at some point. Now let's look over the other side of the ball, because the Denver Nuggets have a lot of adjustments that they need to make as well. Um, silver lining for the Lakers, if you're looking at uh, looking back from this game, is you really, really didn't even come remotely close to matching Denver's effort and intensity, especially in the first three quarters, but you consistently looked comfortable on offense in spite of that. Anthony Davis, despite struggling a little bit in his post-up and ISOs, I thought he looked really comfortable in the short roll, hit a couple jump shots, a lot of comfortable stuff there. Uh, Rui Hachimura had a lot of success attacking some of the smaller um, Denver Nuggets uh, guards and post-ups. And LeBron James, just continuing from game six, at the top of the key, picking on defenders that he believes he has an advantage against. Now, what did I tell you guys in the series preview? I told you that they're going to do similar to what they did with Lonnie Walker on Steph Curry in game four of the last round. They're going to run quick ghost screens and flare, have that shooter quick set his feet on the left wing. And as uh, Jamal Murray is lingering on LeBron, waiting for Aaron Gordon to recover, that's when he can throw those behind-the-back passes or over-the-top feeds to a wide-open shooter. And Austin Reeves really made the Nuggets pay in the second half of this game with those weak side threes. So the adjustment there for the Nuggets is to put Jamal Murray, the defender LeBron feels most comfortable attacking. Like, he had some success against Gordon. He had some success against KCP. He had some success against Michael Porter. But he had the most success against Jamal Murray. So what you need to do is tuck Jamal Murray on a shooter that is not a good movement shooter. Because that specific 
um, jumper that Austin Reeves is hitting is a very difficult jump shot. You are running to your side and having to set your feet on the move to get that shot off before the con contest can come from the sides, right? <clears throat> the guy, the obvious decision there is Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder has a very slow release, and he can knock down threes when he's given a lot of time, but he is very much not a movement shooter. He is not a guy who's going to consistently knock down jumpers sliding to his left. He is a standstill shooter. But D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves, I believe, could have some success in pick-and-pop shooting. So, again, one of the adjustments I expect from Denver going into Game 2 is to see more of that hedging and recovering, but trying to tuck Jamal Murray away onto Dennis Schroeder instead. That forces LeBron to call up Contavious Caldwell-Pope instead, which is still a matchup that he's going to have some success attacking, but probably not as much as he does against Jamal Murray. Uh, but I thought, I thought overall, the Laker offense was fantastic. Even in that first half, there were some turnovers and effort things, and they were definitely shell-shocked under that Denver effort. But even in that first half, I thought the Lakers got great looks. And I feel good about them being able to score over the course of the series. As a matter of fact, as we kind of zoom out from this, it's really the uh, really is like the Nuggets win and a win is a win, right? Like I, I said this a lot um, over the course of the last series. Like it doesn't matter if the Suns were within three points in game two late, a win is a win is a win. It doesn't matter if the Warriors erased a 14 point deficit in the fourth quarter of game one. D'Angelo Russell scored, and then they didn't score the rest of the game. The Lakers won. A win is a win is a win. So the Nuggets are up 1-0. But as we go to game two, both teams are going to have to go to the drawing board a lot with their defensive scheme, especially Denver, because I think the Lakers found a few things that work well in this game defensively. The Nuggets are going to have their hands full. Um, but again, to me, again, I, I we're going to talk a lot about scheme. And you guys know I love to talk about those things, and we'll talk about pick-and-roll coverages, and we'll talk about how to post-up uh, post double teams, and we'll talk about ghost screens on LeBron, uh, pick, uh, uh, mismatch hunting. But at the end of the day, like what matters most in these environments is how well do your damn stars play. And in Game 1, if you were ranking the players in this game, you're probably going Nikola Jokic 1, and you're probably going maybe Anthony Davis 2, but maybe Jamal Murray? And then LeBron, and I would argue it's kind of Jokic on a level by himself, and then Murray, LeBron, AD all on that second tier. Simply put, the Nuggets dominated the superstar matchup in this game, and then down the roster, the role players played better. So that's what it comes down to, in my opinion. Like At the end of the day, no matter what happens schematically, LeBron James and Anthony Davis have to find a way to flip the dynamic of who the best player in the series is. Round one goes to Jokic. A lot of basketball left. One last thing I was going to say. Had a lot of Nuggets fans in my mentions today being like, is it time to call Nikola Jokic the best player in the world? Two things. First of all, this is just my opinion on stuff. You're welcome to say Nikola Jokic is the best player in the world. And if you do so, I'm not even going to say you're wrong. I'm just going to say that I don't think of it that way. For me, I have rules. For me, you're not called the best player in the world unless you have a Larry O'Brien trophy at home. And you were one of the... And you played at a superstar level in pursuit of that Larry O'Brien trophy. So for me, I'm not going to give Nikola Jokic that credit until he wins the title. Now, there's a flip side to that. Once Nikola Jokic wins the title, he has a stranglehold on that. And I'm not going to bump him off for some random guy who's playing well in the regular season three, four years in a row, right? So if we find ourselves in the Western Conference Finals next year, and it's, you know... 
Dallas advances and Luka Doncic looks incredible and everyone's on Twitter saying, is Luka the best player in the world? But Jokic is the defending finals MVP? I'm going to be the same guy sitting in this chair saying, nope, Jokic has the trophy, Luka does not. I'm not interested in, in considering him at that level until he gets the trophy. But again, that's just the way that I look at it. So I love Jokic's game. I'm a huge believer in what he does. Let's let him do it first. And once he, do, once he does it, I'm going to advocate for him. But I have my own little process. So do all of you guys. In my show, I'm just going to talk about the way I think about these kinds of things. All right. So um, a couple game plan things. I am going to be going uh, again tomorrow night after game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. I also will be doing, probably for just the Western Conference Finals, um, uh, doing some daily film sessions. So keep an eye probably on the morning of each game. Similar to what we did in the Lakers-Warriors series, you're going to get another 15 minutes or so of just what I learned watching the film. So tomorrow night, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, and then the following morning, a little film session from game one, and then again after game two on Thursday night. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.